Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in again for another week of travel news, travel tips, and of course, we've got some travel chats. And we're going to be going some fantastic places coming up in 2023. We are chartering again. We're talking about Croatia and a private small cruiser in celebration of our 25th year yes advantage international is turning 25 and its principal partners yes have some milestones as well we've graduated to the next level if you know what i mean 60 65 so we're going to have a fantabulous time in croatia one of our favorite places and one of the best ways to see Croatia, which is on a small cruiser, or you can call it a yacht, if you will. Only 17 cabins on board, so it's going to be a very private and intimate experience. But we're inviting you to come with. Yes, if you want to join us, head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, for this very wonderful experience. We are going from Split to Dubrovnik. July 29th to August 6th, July 29th to August 6th. And we are going to cruise for seven nights. We're going to have a cooking class, some wine tasting. We're not going to dive for oysters, but we are going to get them fresh out of the bay. And if you've never been to Croatia, you are in for a treat if you come with, because the food there is amazing. We're going to do some kayaking, just some wonderful, wonderful things and experience. And Certainly, if you're celebrating something, you can come and celebrate too. We are going to have some wonderful parties on board as well. So again, only 17 cabins on board, July 29 to August 6. Travelingculturati.com is where you can get the information, and I hope you do want to join us. Well, it is Black History Month, my favorite month of the year. We know that Black History is 365, right? (laughs) 365 days a year. However, this is the time where we make that extra effort. We highlight, we spotlight, and we celebrate the history and culture that is Black History. Today, we're heading to Niagara Falls, Canada, that is, (laughs) with Leslie Harper, Operator of Niagara Bound Tours, a Black History Tour company located in St. Catharines, Ontario. Later on in the Culture Report, I'll have a fascinating chat with Saladin Allah, Director of Community Engagement at the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center. And he's also a descendant of Josiah Henson, a.k.a. Uncle Tom. You know, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah, and folks, we've got it all wrong, but I'll let Saladin tell us that history. But right now, I've got a little travel news. Well, United Airlines is changing their policy and allowing children to sit with their parents at no charge. I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? But prior to March, which is when their new policy will go into effect, based on the types of tickets that you bought, if you bought those basic economy or those restricted tickets and you were traveling with your children, and those particular tickets did not allow advanced seat assignments or you had to pay for 
specific seat assignments. Yeah, so United Airlines is changing that. So effective March, they'll roll out a new family seating policy that is designed to seat children under 12 next to an adult for free, the adult that they're traveling with, even if that means that they are giving them a preferred seat at the economy price. Yes. So it's a new automated seat map that will feature adjacent seats at the time of booking, looking for the first economy seat, but automatically upgrading customers to preferred seats if needed. If no adjacent seat is available, the new policy lets customers switch for free to a flight to the same destination that has adjacent seats in the same cabin. It just makes sense. It's really a safety issue when you think about it. If you're traveling with a child under the age of 12 that you wouldn't guarantee to sit next to that child, you're in one section of the plane and they're in another, you're in the front, they're in the back, whatever that case may be, that's terrible. But the airlines are increasingly coming under fire from families because of this and lately from the politicians for charging extra to seat everyone together. President Joe Biden in his State of the Union address earlier this month vowed will prohibit airlines from charging $50 round trip for a family just to be able to sit together. Baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage, end quote. Well, two budget airlines are launching new routes to Puerto Rico. I'm trying to roll my R's here this summer. Puerto Rico is one of the hottest destinations in the Caribbean right now, especially for American travelers. And it's not going unnoticed by airlines. Puerto Rico is trending due to the gorgeous beaches, beautiful historic capital San Juan, and its proximity to the continental United States. So starting this summer, it's gonna be even easier to get from the United States to Puerto Rico with the launch of nearly a dozen new flight routes. We're talking about Spirit Airlines and Frontier. So Spirit has announced that it will launch in May and June of this year flights from Atlanta, Hartford, Dallas, Detroit, and Chicago, all starting in early May. And this is going to be daily service for the most part, with the exception of Hartford, which will be three times a week. Additionally, Spirit will be expanding its coverage to San Juan from Baltimore, Newark, Fort Lauderdale, and Orlando throughout the spring and summer. These are routes they already have. Frontier has made the announcement that they will begin later this year, also in May though, from Cleveland, Detroit, Baltimore, Chicago, and Dallas. The only one that's gonna operate daily will be Dallas to San Juan. The rest will be either four or six times a week. So from Chicago, it's gonna be nearly daily. It's gonna be six times a week. Frontier is also introducing a direct flight from Cancun, Mexico to Puerto Rico on May 25. And how much is it gonna cost? Well, certainly if you don't mind the seating arrangements on Spirit and Frontier and the frugal way of traveling, I'll put it that way, pay for everything, bags, seats, water, everything, it still adds up for some to be a lot less expensive than some of the other carriers. So for example, Spirit is saying that Atlanta San Juan could be as low as $59 from Atlanta, Hartford, and Dallas, $79 from Detroit, and $69 from Chicago. That is, of course, each way. Frontier is saying that their prices are going to start at $59 as well. Cleveland, Detroit, Baltimore, Chicago, Dallas, all with fares starting at $69. So yeah, 
Puerto Rico. Yes, here we come for flights under $200. American Cruise Lines has announced a brand new antiques cruise. This is going to be on the Mississippi. It includes special visit to a taping of Antiques Roadshow. So if you're a fan of the show, or if you're in the business of antiquing <laughs> or the hobbying of antiquing, you might want to check it out. American Cruise Lines will offer the special antiques cruise aboard a brand new Mississippi riverboat. It's called the American Serenade. When it will debut this April, the special cruise will be American Serenade's second official sailing departing April 27th. Along with the company's classic eight-day Lower Mississippi River itinerary from Memphis, Tennessee to New Orleans, Louisiana. On May 2nd, guests on board the American Serenade will have the unique opportunity to attend a taping of Antiques Road Show. How fun is that? American Cruise Line has actually been the national sponsor of Antiques Road Show PBS since 2021. The new taping episodes for its 28th season will air in 2024. Yeah, so if you're into river boat cruising and antiquing, you may want to check that out. Now, here's a shocking number. TSA is stating that they are seeing an unacceptable number of guns at airports. The TSA is already warning that it expects the number of guns at airports to surpass last year's record haul. It comes after an assault rifle with 163 rounds of ammunition was seized at New Orleans airport this month. Yeah, 163 rounds of ammunition with an assault rifle. Wow. The agency says it could beat the 6,542 guns that were discovered at airport checkpoints in 2022. Last year, 88% of them were loaded with ammo. You're not supposed to have a loaded weapon on board or at the airport or on board the plane. And you have to know the laws or the legal limits on every state that you go to, because what is in one may be completely different in the other. Officers in Seattle, Washington, in D.C., and in Indianapolis have raised concerns about the rate of gun seizures so far this year. TSA last year increased the maximum civil penalty for a firearms violation to $14,950. TSA's administrator said what we see at our checkpoints really reflects what we're seeing in our society. On to some happier news. Are you into Super Nintendo? Well, Super Nintendo World launches at Universal Studios Hollywood. It's now officially open. Executives of Nintendo and Universal Studios Hollywood were joined by Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach to officiate. Super Nintendo World features Mario Kart, Bowser's Challenge Ride, as well as many interactive activities. It is a technologically advanced ride inspired by the popular Mario Kart video game. Guests are seated in four-seat vehicles as they navigate courses through head-mounted AR goggles. Power-up bands are wristbands that sync with the official Universal Studios Hollywood's free downloadable app to optimize the guest experience. It tracks individual and team scores. It collects digital coins and obtaining keys after winning key challenges. Guests can win the key challenges from Goomba, Crazy Crank, Koopa Troopa, Power Punch, Piranha Plant Nap, Mishap, and Thwomp 
panel. <laughs> These are all Greek to me, but I'm sure if you're a Super Nintendo fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can you imagine this? Can you imagine being on an airplane and everybody gets up and starts moving to one side and you're trying to figure out what is going on, only to be told later that there was a scorpion on the loose. Yes, passengers were forced to leave their seats after a scorpion broke free on a British Airways flight that was from Texas, Austin, Texas, to London Heathrow. During that transatlantic flight, crew members did search for the creature and although Somebody saw it. Not everyone did, fortunately, but they all saw what was happening. And, you know, it's one of those things as well that it's not big enough for everybody to see. So unless you know officially that it was captured, you're looking over your shoulder. They actually had to move everyone to keep everyone safe. And they moved them to an area where there were empty seats and they were scattered across the plane because no they didn't find it oh i would have been a nervous wreck that entire flight if it was in my area and i knew they couldn't find it i don't know if i would be able to just even go to another place i'm like where is it i need confirmation that you found it well that's all i've got for travel news and when i come back leslie harper operator of niagara bound tours will be here to share the black history and sites of Niagara Falls in both New York and Canada. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you check out the website. It's TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on social media and join that travel club because we have a fabulous lineup for 2023 and 2024. And I want to make sure that you're the first to know when we're on the go anywhere that we will go. Well, one of my favorite topics is Black history. Well, history, but specifically Black history. So I get super excited when I get a chance to talk about it and have on other professionals who love to talk about Black history as well. So joining me today is Leslie Harper, the operator of Niagara Bound Tours, a Black history tour company located in St. Catharines, Ontario. Well, hello, Leslie Harper, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Oh, hello to you as well, and thank you for having me today. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Super excited. I've been following you on Facebook for quite some time. And then I thought, I have to get her on my show. I have uh, to. Have, yeah, because I see the posts that you do and the groups that you lead from afar from Facebook. Tell us about your family history and how they came to Canada. I wish I had known about my family history when I was younger. Sadly, my family was quite a simple family had labor jobs, agricultural jobs, went to church, real simple lives. And I always knew the word Underground Railroad. I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know it. And I also used to think it was tunnels, which I now I, that was been corrected over the time. And when I asked my family, were we part of Underground Railroad? You know, as a kid would ask a question, my family would say to me, never mind that you're here now. And not all families in Canada are like that, but my family was, sadly. We didn't have a family Bible which I never did see. It's somewhere else in the family tree branch somewhere. 
So I had to leave it alone. And then when my hometown of Fort Erie started to discover Black history, my grandma's brothers, some of her siblings were around, and I approached her one brother, my Uncle Kit, and I asked Uncle Kit about our family history at that time. And then he started to share the stories with me. And I was very proud to find out that my enslaved family came from Kentucky in 1851, there were two brothers and their nine-year-old sister. And Uncle Kit was where I got a lot of my family stories from. And then there's another branch of my family tree where my great-grandpa was born in London, Ontario in 1841. And when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which allowed Blacks to fight in the Civil War, my great-grandpa, who had been born a free Black here in Canada, left Canada and went to fight in the Civil War on the Union Army side. And so I'm very proud. And he did manage to survive. And then I had another part of my family tree, an ancestral cousin, who, although they weren't accepting Blacks into the military here, as they weren't in the U.S., and this was in Canada during World War One, I, I had a cousin who was accepted and protected the Welland Canal, first of all, and then went to London, England, where he was injured in a explosion in London, took about a year to recover from that, and then went on to France and fought in Passchendaele, and was one of only six black Canadian soldiers who were ever awarded a silver medal. And both those two military ancestors, my great-grandpa, my ancestral cousin, are in an exhibit at the Canada War Museum which I've had the pleasure of seeing twice this past year. And the second time was with the tour group that I led to Ottawa. I was able to take them into the Canada War Museum and show them the picture of my great-grandpa. And my great-grandma is in it as well. And they're at the very first exhibit when you go into the Canada War Museum. So I'm very, very proud of that. Right now, it's apparently a temporary exhibit, but of course, I'm lobbying, so hoping that that wonderful exhibit will be permanent. Why not? We were here, so I'm hoping that'll happen. So that's my family history, and it's one I'm very proud of. I just wish I had known it when I was younger. So many generations oh, yeah. in Canada. And it's great that you know your family history. Uh, so many of us don't, especially when you go back more than a couple of generations. So what an honor to know your family history. So how did Niagara Bound Tours get started? Well, I used to work for the Toronto Board of Education. And Toronto is a world in its own. There's Toronto and then there's the rest of Canada. You know, it's that kind of thing. Anyway, I was in Toronto. And the narrative I was hearing in Toronto was disturbing. Toronto's a racist city. Canada's a racist country, blah, 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 blah. And at the school board, when the parents would say these things and the parents weren't as deep-rooted in Canada as my family is, they had a different narrative and a different experience. And I understood that. But at the same time, I thought they would say, your children were not in the textbooks. We're not recognized here. We're not recognized there. And I'd be like, this isn't good for their kids. So I observed it. And sure enough, the next generation, when I started my tour business, I always wanted to write a book. And then I decided to go into business for myself. And it was either going to be fundraising or tourism, because those were the two areas I really enjoy. And tourism ended up being the one that came to me. It's almost like a calling. So the next generation, and it was this young people that I really wanted to get to, because I wish I had known my history growing up, because I felt invisible, insignificant, that I, I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. I didn't. But if I had known that history, the fact that these children came, basically children 
came from Kentucky, the strength and or the stubbornness, and then the courage. And my great-grandpa, free black man, leaving Canada to fight in a war in another country. I'm so proud of those people. That was the premise of doing these tours, was primarily for young people, so that these young people in Toronto could get a different narrative than the one that they were already hearing. We have a federal facility for young offenders here, and it's called the Roy McMurtry Center. They call it the Roy for short. And I was invited to speak during Black History Month to the, they call them clients now, the inmates, if you will, and these young people. 90% of the male audiences are young Black men. And I had the pleasure of speaking to them afterwards, and they're not stupid young Black men. It's just they haven't been told anything else. These kids are gang members, and they shoot one another. And that's what's so disturbing about it, because I recognize how that happened. If you're told that you don't belong, you're going to find somewhere to belong. And these young, smart young Black men, their environment, their neighborhood, their community, they're getting this bad information. The gangs welcome you. So that's where they gravitate to. And the corrections officers were very concerned. They said, now look at these guys have ADHD. They might not stay in their seats, but blah, blah, blah. they didn't even want to have this assembly. And they decided to have the assembly. Those young men sat there and didn't move a muscle for an hour. And it was because they were hearing something they had never heard before. And at the end of my talk, two of these young men were talking amongst themselves. They both put their hands up. I acknowledged one. And the one guy said, thank you, ma'am, for coming and talking to us today. It just warmed my heart. So that's why I do what I do, because this is still going on. And it's actually become worse here. But I'm good trouble. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so... That's what that's all about. Yeah, and certainly good trouble has its place. And I'm so glad that that phrase was coined. But as you mentioned about yourself, I think a lot of us, no matter where we are around the globe, we don't really get the Black history part of history. And so much of it has been omitted from history classes, history books, and so forth. And so that knowing who you are, where you came from, and a history that you can connect to is something that gives you that sense of pride. So really glad that you were able to share that with them and find something that they took an interest in. So very, very commendable. Now, let's talk about your Black history tours and sites and the significance of your destination. Well, there's so much here. When I first started doing these tours, I could do two a day. Now I'm lucky to get it all in in one day. And there's more and more and more to be on earth. I wish so much, if I had my life to do over again, I would get a PhD in African Canadian studies or Black Canadian studies. And this is what I would do all the time. Every single day I'm reading about new people. I just picked up some new information about people who lived in my neighborhood and people who had been enslaved and where they came from. And I have their names and there's just so much more to be done. But the sites that I include now Freedom Crossings. I'm from Fort Erie. I should have mentioned that. I'm from Fort Erie, Ontario, which is right across from Buffalo. And yes, we were hit by that big snowstorm Buffalo had as well. I live in St. Catharines now, and I have to tell you, a good snowstorm can be a lot of fun. As long as you're safe, it can be a lot of fun. But anyway, I digress. Fort Erie was quite an entry point for freedom seekers because we had the Niagara River and Lake Erie. 
as a crossing point from the United States into Canada with many, many ferry, ferry landings. So there are some famous people who came through, and one of them is Josiah Henson, better known as Uncle Tom, that wonderful man in the book, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And the narrative to that's being changed here as well. When Blacks call other Blacks Uncle Tom, I've always had such a great sense of pride to bring them to the site down at the Niagara River where Buffalo can be seen and talk to them about how Josiah Henson came over and what a great man he was, just like Uncle Tom was in the book. And then when I finish the story of Josiah Henson, I go, hey, you want to call me Uncle Tom? Please do so. I wear it as a badge of honor. I love telling his story. He was an awesome man. So we have that site. And then another site, we have a cemetery in Fort Erie where many freedom seekers, because there was a village known as Little Africa. Some of my ancestors are buried there. And something that was uncovered this summer that needs a little bit more research is that my ancestor, the one who came through from one of the young men who came through from Kentucky, may have been the minister to the congregation in Little Africa. A um, little more research needs to be done on that, but what a sense of pride that gives me as well. This surprises a lot of people. The civil rights movement started in Fort Erie, Ontario, Canada, with the Niagara Movement, led by W.E.B. Du Bois in 1905. And it started right here in Fort Erie, Ontario. And four years later, the first meeting of the NAACP happened in New York City. Those are just the three sites in Fort Erie that we visit. And then, of course, we go on to Niagara Falls, where I point out at the falls where people would cross over into freedom. Then we go on into St. Catharines and the church and the neighborhood that Harriet Tubman brought her 60 to 70 people to in the church that she would have probably attended when she was in the area. And then there's the courthouse that Frederick Douglass would give his anti-slavery speeches at when he would come to the area on his way going to Toronto. He was in and out of Toronto on numerous occasions at St. Lawrence Hall talking to people about Black history. And then we go into Niagara-on-the-Lake where the first anti-slave act throughout the British Empire was signed. We were part of the British Empire at the time. John Graves Simcoe was the Crown's first representative in Canada. It wasn't Queen Victoria. Anyway, he was there to sign the Anti-Slave Act, and that all came about because of a young girl by the name of Chloe Cooley who was being sold into the United States. And he heard about this, and he would have abolished slavery completely when he came to Canada. But people here owned enslaved people. And on my tour, people were always surprised that we had slavery. Slavery was a worldwide endeavor, commodity, if you will. Everybody was involved in it. And Canada was not excluded, although we didn't have as many as you would have had in the U.S. They were more into servitude here, but of course, labor, when there was some, but we were a very young country during that time. So we abolished slavery completely. We started in 1793 with a manumission process that started in Niagara-on-the-Lake. And Niagara-on-the-Lake is a cute little town, too, so I love taking people through there. And then moved on in 1834 to be totally abolished the British Empire. But we also have War of 1812. That's one of the ones I talk about is Richard Pierpoint, who was enslaved, eventually was brought out of Senegal when he was 16 years old, maintained his dignity and became a leader of the color corps that were very valuable during the War of 1812. Then we also have Anthony Burns, who many people from Boston will know about, 
who made it from Virginia to Boston, then was taken back into slavery. And his story, he was a minister here in the St. Catharines area. And there's so much more to unearth. That's probably the tip of the iceberg. I need 10 more lives to uncover all of it. But that's basically a tour. And I think that we do get so fixated on the United States of America that we don't look at this history outside of, and especially our neighbors to the north. <laughs> I mean, it's, And we are connected. It's very much a connected history. It really is a connected history. And I think we underestimate what that really is and what it entails. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, we get the Black history from slavery, but certainly what are we doing today? And what is our history beyond that? Is that part of your tour at all? You mean, what are we doing now moving forward? My yeah. activity here in Canada... As I mentioned earlier, they're revisiting the history. But in revisiting the history, it's being done by those that aren't as deep-rooted. They call it updating the history, but what they're doing is removing it. Like, they don't like the word Negro. They're trying to take that word out of the narrative. And it's like, what are you talking about? United Negro Scholarship Fund. Blacks that we admire and appreciate. W.E.B. Du Bois himself said, I don't want these people to just be Negroes. I want them to be Americans. He chose to use the word Negro. We chose to use the word Negro. But the newer ones in Canada, they don't like it as much. And they're having great influence in our government. We have a museum. It's been called forever. Uncle Tom's Cabin Museum. Wonderful museum. And it's where Josiah went to when he left Fort Erie. He moved to this settlement in Dresden, Ontario, and built a community there, a settlement there. And they don't like the term Uncle Tom, so they've convinced the government to change the name. That's how they're progressing. And I'm finding it very stressful. And they're also using it as a platform to continue the anti-racism theme, which of course, I'm not denying it doesn't exist, but what happens is, is you'll get a presentation on black history here now, and you'll hear about some of these people, but then it finishes on the racism theme. Instead of on my tour, what I'm doing in moving forward is I want to inspire and motivate, make people wanna learn more. I respect my ancestors and those others that came before me. They need to be honored. They fought the battle so that we can move forward. My uncle Kit used to say, you don't give up, you keep going till you can't go no more. That's who we are. That's when you finish the story. That's what people should be left with. And of course, we have battles to conquer. We still have to be that good trouble, but we have to be good trouble. We have to be at the meeting. We have to be there because, as you were saying earlier, what's very important as we come into today, we have to make sure that the narrative isn't changed to remove it. We have to be very clear and we have to be very present for that to preserve the triumphs, the trials, the tribulations, and those triumphs because these people, our ancestors, need exactly. to be celebrated in what they endured and what they accomplished and how they accomplished. I've been taking notes of all of the things that you were saying and what's included in your tour. Come on up here, I'll show them to you. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'll bring a group of folks with me too. Uh, that would be great. That would <laughs> the be civil great. rights movement starting in Fort Erie, Ontario, with WABC boys. And I don't think that we know that. Some do. Yeah. <laughs> and when I used to, one of the people who I always will be grateful to, I didn't understand because I was the only black kid in my high school at times. 
I really felt insignificant. And this man by the name of Frank Messiah recognized that there was this little black girl in Fort Erie that really doesn't know who she is. And he was the president of the NAACP. And when I started my business, I went to Buffalo to visit with him and tell him what I was doing and whatnot. And then later on, we talked about this site in Fort Erie. And he said, you know, that site is so important because it wasn't just civil rights for blacks, but it opened up civil rights for all that were challenged or diminished in their own world. And that's where Fort Erie in Canada can take such great pride. So I love telling that story. I love telling it and I love taking people there. And I try not to tell people about it because it's such a great surprise to people when I finally tell them this is the site where the civil rights movement started. Absolutely. And, you know, another point that you brought up that I do want to reiterate, because civil rights movement and some of the things that came out of it benefited many people, not just African Americans or, or Black Canadians. When you think about affirmative action, for example, what people don't know is that the largest benefactor of affirmative action are white women not Black people. We have to really start looking at these pieces of the history and making sure that everybody has the true story about them. But you're doing so many wonderful things. One um, is that I understand you are on the Underground Railroad Consortium of New York State. Tell us about that. It gives me chills when you just said it again. I love that group. I got to know them through I Love New York International Tourism Organization, some of them. And it's evolved over the years into a group or incorporated. There's a website, Underground Railroad Consortium of New York State.org or URCNYS.org. And it's made up of blacks and whites. And I get kickback on that too sometimes. After the George Floyd incident, we had a meeting. We have meetings every month by Zoom. And we tried to meet in person, but that was too hard for people because we're located all over New York State, and then I'm in Canada. And so anyway, after the George Floyd incident, we had our meeting, Blacks and Whites, and it was wonderful because we could have a frank conversation. This is something I it would be wonderful if the whole world was like this, because we were able to have a frank, wonderful conversation about what had happened with Blacks and Whites together. And I left that meeting, came off that Zoom meeting, feeling so grateful to have had that group to talk to. And I posted it on Facebook, and I used an old picture of the group at a table, because sometimes there aren't a lot of Blacks in this group. And that's because a lot of the underground railroad sites aren't located in metropolitan areas where a lot of Blacks would have gravitated to, because that's where the jobs were. So a lot of these communities, New Mexico, New York, Oswego, Peterborough, New York, these sites have been maintained for years by white folks who appreciated the history, who were a part of our history. You can't separate white people. We wouldn't be where we were today if it wasn't cooperation of the races, including First Nations, Indians, if you will, were there to help us as well. So it was a collaborative effort. Jews helped as well. So anyone who felt that slavery was a social injustice. So this group is awesome. So we're made up of underground railroad sites throughout New York State. We meet once a month, and the whole premise, mission statement, and objective of this group. When everyone's on the same page for the mission statement and objective, it's great. And theirs is to preserve and to tell the Black history story. And they preserve the sites. 
and there's no hidden agendas. Everybody's there for the same purpose. It's wonderful. They're archiving. We're looking for a place to archive the information. They want to share the information. None of this hoarding or I'm not going to tell you. It's a wonderful organization that I admire and love and I learn from. And it's just been the most incredible experience. They're my partners. Well, they are definitely my partners and I care about each and every one of them. Fantastic. Now, you're also working with the United States to establish a Harriet Tubman trail that will end yes. up in Ontario. How yes. has that been and how far along is the it's, project? Well, it got held up because of the pandemic and I couldn't move around because I need to see these places. And I have a wonderful partner. Marilyn is doing phenomenal effort in enhancing the Black history experience. They're into it with Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. And years ago when I went down there, I go, how come you're not talking about Josiah Henson? He came out of Maryland too. He goes, oh, he's Western Shore. We're dealing with Eastern Shore. Well, they've now cut up to Western Shore. And the site for Josiah Henson in Rockville, Maryland, I went to see that for the first time since they did their renovations. Awesome. They aren't finished the work there yet, but oh my gosh, wonderful. There's the Woodlawn Center. And then of course, the Harriet Tubman Visitor Center, I was there and that wasn't ready yet, but let me tell you how thoughtful the National Park Service is. I love your National Park Service. I wish we had that kind of entity here. We have Parks Canada, but not quite the same thing. You preserve buildings and restore buildings. The National Park Service, when they built the Harriet Tubman Visitor Center in Cambridge, Maryland, and I invite everyone to go there. It's a great experience. This is how thoughtful they were. When you enter that site, the visitor center site, you're entering from the south going north. That's just before you even get in the building. The thoughtfulness and the work you guys do over there, I applaud. So anyway, I'm working with Marilyn because Harriet Tubman was born in Maryland and she would bring people to Canada. There's a byway that's been somewhat established coming into New York State, but this is something that my counterpart, group sales manager, and I have talked about for a long time as well. And so we're working on bringing groups starting in Maryland and come right up into Ontario. We're planning on launching it in September. I may be a bit ahead of myself, but I need deadlines anyway for structure and to get things done just on a personal level. So I was in Maryland with my counterpart and, and we'll grow in Washington. We're going to call it, we're not sure of the name, Harriet Tubman Trail Plus, Harriet Tubman Plus Trail Harriet Tubman Tour Plus. Or we're not quite sure because we're not just going to include underground railroad sites that Harriet Tubman would have been involved with. We're going to include other sites that are of great interest but might not have had anything to do with Harriet Tubman. So we're including Maryland, Delaware, Philadelphia, New York State. And some people are kind of including New Jersey, which she may have worked at Cape May in New Jersey as a cook at one point in time. But as it is, we have so many sites that will be a part of this that people could be on the road for two weeks. And we're going to try and narrow it down to a week. We may have to do part one, part two. There's a lot of work involved. I'm getting ready to go into Delaware and Philadelphia, hopefully in February, where we can tie up those ends. And then, of course, the New York piece isn't that difficult at all. And then this will be available to anybody who wants to take the tour. And you'll get to meet me at the end of the tour coming into Canada for the Canada piece. 
We are so thankful for you and for people like you who are so invested in the history and keeping it alive and making it available to everyone. And I just can't wait for this Harriet Tubman Trail extension plus whatever the name is going to be. I'm just (laughs) excited about it. I am too. (laughs) So how do we get in contact with you? Well, you can reach me through my website, which is www.niagaraboundtours.com. It has all of my contact information on there. There's also a little vignette film, a little YouTube video of me talking about my family history so you can actually see me. It's so funny because I don't have what's perceived as a black voice. Like I don't have an accent, if you will. People when they call, they're like, she white? And it's like, no, I'm just Canadian. <laughs> What can I tell you? I had someone whose husband didn't want to come on my tour because he didn't want to take any Black history tour given by a white woman. And when he met me, I said, well, Paul, are you going to come on the tour now that you've seen me? So he came on the tour. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Such an honor and a pleasure and can't wait to meet you in person. When we come back, I'll have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com. And also follow us on social media and join that travel club because we go to some fantastic places. Well, it is Black History Month and I just love this time of year because I get to explore, discover, and share so many wonderful aspects of Black history with you. So I'm super excited to have on with me today Saladin Allah, who is the Director of Community Engagement at the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center. He's a historian, an educator, and the third great-grandson of the famed Underground Railroad seeker Josiah Henson the inspiration for the character in Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. Well, hello, Saladin, if I may call you Saladin, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hey, Javon, how you doing today? I am fantastic. So big question, have you always known you were the third great-grandson of Josiah Henson? This is something that I grew up knowing because my family dynamics was rooted in cultural consciousness. And my parents were both affiliated with the Black Panthers. So I grew up knowing the importance of not only our ancestry, but the love and appreciation for the contributions of our people throughout the world. So I didn't learn to more appreciate it until I got older, but it was just something that we always knew just growing up, me and my peers. And my siblings. How was it learning about your heritage and your connection to Josiah Henson? It gave me a sense of pride and a sense of identity. And growing up in a household where at a very young age, my parents, for example, my father, he collected African artifacts. And when I'm in elementary school, I had the capacity to be able to talk to my peers about the Maasai tribe or the Dinka tribe or the Twa people of Africa. So I was always conscious that our story didn't begin in slavery here in the Western Hemisphere. And because of that, I was able to see 
our contribution as first world people, as original people, from a much broader perspective. So my sense of esteem was a lot different. And to be able to connect that esteem to a freedom seeker who, for people who are not aware of who Josiah Henson is, he was a forerunner of the Underground Railroad. And to kind of put it in context, he made his journey in 1830 to freedom. And at that time period, Harriet Tubman's name was Araminta Ross, and she was still a young teen on a plantation. So to know part of his story and the sacrifices that he and his family made, as well as the contributions, it gave me even more pride in who I was as a person of African descent or as an original person. And it was a little different than some of the peers that I grew up with that never connected with that type of story of our contributions to this world. Let's talk more about Josiah Henson. And I really want to clarify the difference between the character, Uncle Tom, in the book, mm -hmm. Uncle Tom's Cabin, and the real mm -hmm. person that the book was inspired by, your ancestor, Josiah Henson. Yes. So the more contemporary concept of what an Uncle Tom is, is really a caricature of who Josiah Henson actually was. When Harriet Beecher Stowe first published that book, it was the best-selling novel of the 19th century. And to this day, it's often considered the greatest novel that's ever been written. Abraham Lincoln actually checked a copy of that book out weeks before he drafted the Emancipation Proclamation. So that book is also looked at as the inspiration that sparked the Civil War. That book highlighted the life experience of Josiah Henson as the central narrative. And a lot of people were in an uproar when that book was published because that was the first time that slavery was put on public display. A lot of people who lived in the South, they understood the system of slavery, but a lot of people up North and some of the people who began to settle in the West, they really didn't fully understand what was going on. And this book that Harry Beecher Stowe wrote, put it on public display and Copyright laws are not the same as they were back then. So you had people writing editorials, publishing letters, doing stage plays, doing everything that they could do to try to discredit Harry Beecher Stowe. And this changed the narrative and made Uncle Tom into a propaganda that to this day, a lot of people don't even strive to investigate and learn about because the man behind that caricature is the complete opposite. Josiah Henson was a revolutionary. As I mentioned, he was a forerunner of the Underground Railroad. He was an institution builder. He actually led a black militia during the rebellion of 1837 once he arrived to freedom. And these qualities and characteristics are nothing of what a so-called Uncle Tom would actually be. But because that book that Harry Beecher Stowe wrote created such an expose of the system of slavery that a lot of people strive to do their best to discredit her. And this is where we get this whole concept of what an Uncle Tom is. But Josiah Henson was the complete opposite. It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. For so long, we never knew the true history of Josiah Henson. So can you please share that with us and his journey to freedom and arriving in Niagara Falls? Wow. So he was born in Charles County, Maryland on a tobacco plantation in June of 1789, June 15th. Ironically, one of my daughters is also born on June 15th. So Josiah Henson, his oldest and earliest memory of his father was seeing him come stumble into the slave quarters, holding the side of his head with blood running down the side of his face. And that was the last time that he actually saw his father. It wasn't until he got older that he realized that 
his father was punished for striving to protect his mother. His mother was being assaulted by an overseer at a neighboring plantation, and he stepped in to protect her. And because of that, he received a hundred lashes with a whip and his ear nailed to a post and cut off in front of the entire plantation to instill fear in them. And that was the last time that he saw his father. So he grew up without that father figure in his life. He himself, by the time he turned 18 years old, he was assaulted by an overseer and one of his colleagues who took a wooden plank and hit him across his back, shattering his shoulder blades, as well as breaking his right arm. This disabled him for the rest of his life to the point where he was no longer able to lift his arms above his neckline. But he was still a valuable commodity to his enslaver because of his knowledge, his experience, and his work ethic on the plantation. When he finally decided to escape after learning about the possibility of him being sold down the river into the deep south in New Orleans, it was at the age of about 41 that he decides to actually escape. And one thing that's unique about his journey is a lot of times when people hear about family members moving from plantation to the next, sometimes family members were actually sold to one plantation to the next. Sometimes family members were sent to plantations to hide. And the reason is because oftentimes enslavers were poor managers of their property and they would go into debt. And if they would go into debt, then their property would be confiscated, which also meant that the people that they owned would be confiscated. So to protect their property, sometimes they would take the people that they owned and send them to plantations that their family members or colleagues actually managed. That's something that happened to Josiah, his family, and some of the other people who were enslaved on the plantation of Isaac Riley in Charles County, Maryland. Isaac sent them to his brother Amos Riley's plantation in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, once they got to Owensboro, Kentucky, that's when Josiah learned that he was going to be sold to the Deep South. And that is when he decided to escape. So he walked with his family, which was very rare because typically when people would escape plantations, they would leave in ones or twos. They would rarely take their entire family. Even when Harriet Tubman escaped, she didn't take her entire family with her. Josiah took his wife, and I use the word wife loosely, his four children, two of them were so small, he had to carry them in a knapsack on his back. So in preparation for his escape, he would do chores along the plantation with his children on his back to get accustomed to being able to carry them that distance. They actually escaped in September of 1830, walked over 400 miles from Owensboro, Kentucky, and made it up into Ohio. Once they arrived into Ohio, they were actually welcomed into a territory by the indigenous people who lived there known as the Anishinaabe. The Anishinaabe gave them food, shelter, and then in the morning time, two Anishinaabe scouts pointed them in the direction of Sandusky, Ohio, where they were able to board a ship captained by a man named John Burnham. The ship's name was the Schooner Commerce, which took them from Sandusky, Ohio, up to Buffalo, New York. That entire journey was about 41 days. And once they arrived in Buffalo, New York, they were able to successfully cross over to Fort Erie on October 28th, 1830. So that's just the short of that journey. But there are a lot of different challenges that they had to overcome along that journey from the South to the North. 
with the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center, does it expand over Canada and United States? Yes. So our Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center, the physical location is right at the foot of where the suspension bridge once stood. Now, the suspension bridge is important because it was the first international bridge that was constructed that allowed passage for people to get across and back into the United States without utilizing a boat or steamship. This first being constructed in the 1840s allowed people to ride across on a carriage, walk across, and then by 1855, it began to carry a train. This also coincided with the establishment of the New York Central Railroad, who began to connect railroads across the state of New York and in neighboring states like Pennsylvania. This enabled travelers to jump on a train in Albany or New York City or other different places and ride it all the way here into the city of Niagara Falls. This created a transportation boom. So I say that to say our Niagara Falls Heritage Center is built inside of a customs house of the 1860s, which sat right at the foot of the suspension bridge. This is the same location that Harriet Tubman crossed in November of 1856 on a train with a gentleman by the name of Josiah Joe Bailey to get across to the Canadian side. So when you go inside of our Heritage Center, which is literally right on the border of where the suspension bridge once stood, today, it is known as the Whirlpool or the Nexus Bridge, which was built on top of that suspension bridge. You can literally look out the window of our Heritage Center and see the remnants of that suspension bridge where Harriet Tubman crossed in November of 1856. How does one connect and follow you? People can connect with me through the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center by following our Facebook page, Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Center. They can also connect with me personally on Instagram at Atlantis Build. It's the page for my early childhood learning center known as the Atlantis School for Gifted Youngsters that I established as well. So that is one way to connect with me. And then also Saladin Allah on Facebook. Thank, Thank you, you again for chatting with me today. An honor and a pleasure. All right. Thank you, Javon. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.